0: I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the scriptures if you would please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the, the chapter in Corinthians on resurrection and newness of life. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're with the children this morning, so don't, I want you to know don't, they don't bother me. So if they're making noise, good. I'm glad they're here, and I'm glad they're making noise, so don't, don't, now you're another story, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, that's, it's just fine, don't, 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 uh, I, I got a big voice, and so don't, don't even think about that it bothers me at all, First Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 17, and looking at verse 19 as well, 18 and 19, stand together for the reading of God's word. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You may be seated. Father, there's, a, there's an edge here to Scripture. There's a hardness to Scripture that's uh, to be noted. There's a warning here in Scripture, a calling from a holy God, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything. It means everything. And so we want to pay attention to this this morning in our lives, in our hearts, as a congregation, as a people who love you, that we are resurrected people. We have been born again. There's a newness that we have that is not just that which we did 20 years ago or 30, there's a newness each day. And we recognize the Scripture teaches us again and again that His mercies are new every morning. And with that in mind, our Father, we pray that the things that we share would be those which would challenge us, would educate us, would enlighten us, would thrill us, uh, and bring us again before you with thanksgiving. And this is our heart and our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. No, oh, you are seated. <laughs> How did you do that? When did you do that? It's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> All right. I said, I said in the prayer, and I mean it, the this, this scripture that, that in the resurrection teaches that there's a hard edge. the doctrine of the resurrection. And that's what I want to speak to this morning. There are two kinds of sermons that are preached on Easter Sunday, really. In any church you go into, there's two kinds of sermons that are preached. You can look at Easter as a symbol, or you can look at Easter as an event, as a power that has intervened in history. Those are the only two things when we're looking at Easter morning. And the way to preach Easter as a principle or as a symbol is to say, well, we look at it we say, well, well nature teaches us that after death, there's always a new kind of life. You know, there's, after death, there's, there's life. After loss, there's a gain. Uh, look, at, look at nature and what happens out in nature. After winter, there's spring, you know, uh, an acorn dies and a new tree springs up and then a forest and behind every dark cloud, there's sunshine, there's sunshine, the sun is shining, there's always hope, there's a silver lining in all things, new beginnings, and I would say to you this morning, close, but no cigar, it's, it's, it's not even, well, actually it's not even close, it's not even close. I would suggest to you that that kind of talk or that kind of thinking actually does an end-run around the facts of scripture, the real facts, because nature does not give you a principle of optimism. Scientists tell us that nature is running down. Things are going more and more into disorder. Now, we learned this. We learned this in high school. I mean, in our science classes that we look, and we we talk about the second law of thermodynamics. What was that? You remember from high school? It describes basic principles of the laws the universal laws of decay and it says everything is decaying everything is falling apart everything is going into disintegration you know these things that are here that we stand on that we touch that we they're passing away they're not eternal everything ages even death is a manifestation of this law You're welcome. Enjoy, enjoy. The effects of the second law of thermodynamics, it touches everything in the universe. Even the sun is dying out. The sun is burning up its fuel. Isaiah tells us this way back. He says this, the earth will wear out like a garment. Second law, second law, but not to worry, not to worry after winter, spring, there's silver linings and everything, tell that to the people in Ukraine, tell that to the people in Ukraine. How do you preach Easter as a symbol to people, to a mom whose child is dead in the streets? I'm talking about people who are being crushed, they're being crushed, families whose dad is lying in the street with a bullet in his head. How do you talk to them about Easter as a symbol? The black mother in Chicago whose four-year-old little girl is killed by a a, a drive-by. Well, after the winter comes the spring, every cloud has a silver lining. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar, BS. The real doctrine of Easter, the biblical doctrine of Easter, the historical doctrine of Easter is nature cannot and history cannot show us that things are getting better. That there's a silver lining in every cloud and after every death, there's a resurrection. No, no, no. It doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that. Many times, death is just death. Death is just death. It's wretched. And many times in this world, there's no justice in this world. The biblical understanding of Easter tells us that there is a force there is a power outside that comes into our world. <laughs> That's what Andy was jumping up about. You know, he's, he's risen. He's risen. It's the greatest event in history. Because Jesus was bodily raised, something new has come. Something different has come into our world. Something new has been introduced. There's been a divine intervention And know this, when the doctrine of the resurrection is presented in the scriptures, it has a hard edge. It has a hard edge. It examines and it divides. It says, if the resurrection, then this. If not the resurrection, then this. It has a hard edge to it. Paul says, if Jesus Christ was raised bodily from the dead, In a historic event, that changes everything. That changes everything. Now we have hope in the world. There's hope in this world. It changes the way we look at ourselves. It changes the way we look at our neighbors. It changes the way we look at history. It changes everything, the resurrection. But Paul says if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then Christianity has nothing to say. Shut up. Just shut up. Nothing to say. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Christianity is not an optimistic pile of stories that we find in the scripture. It's a power. It's there or it's not there. It's there or it's not there. If it's there, it comes from outside. It comes from above. And it recreates us from the ground up. It's not a value-added It's your life. It is your life. There's a great place in Philippians, it's the first chapter in verse 18, where Paul gives this great image of a Christian. And he says, you know what what I am? I'm a billboard. I'm a billboard on which Jesus has posted the announcement that he wrote. I'm a billboard. That he rose from the dead. You see, Paul says he has an eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in my body. That Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. My life is a billboard to honor, to glorify. King James says here, to magnify. Christ is magnified. Paul says, that's my life. That's my life. I had a funeral on Tuesday this week on the east side of town, a former member of the church I served, and uh, a woman, 98 years old, 98 years old, and uh, I, I I knew her well. I knew her husband well. I knew the family well, and I got reacquainted with some folks from years. I mean, this is 30 some years ago that I served, and got a chance to speak with them and make acquaintances once again. But she wrote a letter that she wanted read at her funeral, and I suggest. Did you think about this, each of you? Because you can still speak. You can still speak. And she wrote a letter, and in that letter, she begins to talk about, she says, uh, this is my final wish. This is my final communication to to her family and to her her friends who had come that day. She says, you know, God's word says, and then she quoted John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then from there, she went to Romans 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that has been raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And then she said this. She says, I believe God's word. And she said, God, and and it's like me talking to you right now. She's talking to all her friends and family. I believe God's word. God loves you too. God loves you too. If you don't know him, my dying wish, think of the power of this, my dying wish, please invite him into your heart, into your life. I'll be waiting for you. I'll be waiting for you. That's powerful. That's powerful. Let me show you the hard edge of the resurrection. Paul says in verse 19, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're just wandering around in the dark. You're still lost. You're still lost. And then he says, if only for this life you have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. He's saying if the doctrine of the resurrection is simply a a symbol of how we live this life, right here, And if once we die, we have no idea what's going to happen to us or where we're going to go, then Christianity is a sham. It has nothing to say. In the beginning of this chapter, Paul starts off by showing that the doctrine of the resurrection is a historical event. It's in verse 3, if you're following. Look what he says there. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some who have fallen asleep. And then verse 7, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, One who's born at another time, he appeared to me. What is Paul doing here? He is riveting the resurrection to history. He's gluing it. It's it's, it's in history. It's not just a symbol, he says. This happened. This happened. That Jesus appeared to 500 people after he died is one of the most remarkable statements in Scripture. Everybody agrees... This was within 20, maybe 18, 20 years after the death of Christ. So Paul's writing about things that were only 18 or 20 years ago. It's similar today to thinking about things that happened maybe in 2006. I know exactly what happened in 2006. You know what happened to me in 2006? I was resigning from the Lupus Foundation, and I was taking this as an interim pastor. And I know every, all those events. I know everything that happened. I know what happened nationally with the Lupus Foundation. I know what was happening. I understood. I still think about I know those things. They happened. They happened. That's not that long ago. And that's why Paul says most of these people are still alive. Most, and, if, and if you don't believe what I say about some of those things, then check with some of the other people I walked with some of the other people who were involved with those things in my life. The significance of this is that anyone who questions this could go talk to somebody, So talk to another witness. Paul would have been a fool to put that number out there, especially a such large number as that, if he was fabricating a story. That would have completely opened him up to being exposed as a fraud. John Piper makes another understanding of this, which I thought was interesting. He says, what makes this event so relevant is that this was written to the Greeks who were skeptical of all these kinds of claims. When many of these witnesses were still out there and they were alive, so it was a risky claim and could be disproved by just a little bit of research. It could have been disproved. But Paul's not worried about that. He's not worried about that at all because he knows he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Interestingly, Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time. And, and this kind of, you know, you've got these different theories. One of them is the hallucination, that they're all hallucinating, these kinds of things. It's, it's dismissed. You don't get 500 people with the same hallucinations. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with Hallucinations right now. You, you people don't have the same hallucinations. You know, we're not, and, there, and how many are in this church right now? Maybe 180, 200. I mean, come on, think about it. Just look at all of you. Look, no, no, not going to happen. People don't share hallucinations, they just don't. To have hundreds of people see the same mirage is simply unbelievable. Unbelievable. But the number of people that Paul throws out there is shockingly large, right? If he's making the story up, it would be much safer to let's just lower the number, Paul. Ah, How about 50 people? I mean, 50 people. Best explanation for why Paul said that is because He's recording what actually happened. What actually happened. Paul's saying to the Corinthian readers of this church, listen, the resurrection is a real historical event. It's not a fabrication. It's not just based on my testimony. There are hundreds of people who can collaborate my testimony. And then all 12 disciples said, Yeah, we've seen the Lord too. We've seen him risen. And because it's a God event in history, it exploded in the ancient world. Do you really think, do you really think the gospel would have spread like lightning in that first Easter sermon if it went like this? Well, you know, an acorn falls to the ground, and a tree comes up. Or there, where things get the darkest, there's always lights. Light always follows the rainbow after the storm. Can you imagine that dribble turning the Roman world upside down? I mean, think about it. Can you imagine that? Offer that nonsense to Ukraine. Give them that hope. Well, after, you know, well, light's going to come, you know. The reason the gospel spread was a bunch of people got together and said, it happens. Nobody took on death and won before, but we've seen it with our own eyes. Do you see the hard edge of the gospel? the hard edge of the gospel, the resurrection has never been a symbol. It's always been an in-your-face confrontation. Always. It's this or this. If Jesus was raised from the dead, we have to throw off every other lifestyle, every other worldview and follow Christ. And that's what the baptism is all about. Dying, being raised to life In Christ, a new creation, all things have been changed. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then what right do you have to claim that somehow life is going to turn out all right? What right? Paul was not simply claiming this was the the watershed of history. Paul was claiming that the resurrection was the watershed of cosmic history. changes everything. Absolutely everything. He says in the early part of this chapter, in verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day. It's very, very rare that Paul ever talks about resurrection without talking about the death of Jesus. The two, he puts the two together. Almost constantly, he does this. He died, and he was raised. He died, and he was raised. In the in black church, I, I used to uh, preach several times a year at the Morning Star Baptist Church over at Mount Clemens, and their pastor would come over and preach to Dr. Samuels. He'd come over and preach at our church, and we'd switch, and we'd do some things together. And uh, in the black church, they would go, they would go. you'd say, uh, he died, didn't he die? And they'd go, well, well, he died, didn't he die? He died, didn't he die? And then they'd say, but... Early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning. He died, he was buried, and he was raised. That's the gospel. That's our gospel. It's our gospel. The resurrection is just as important for your salvation as for your forgiveness of your sins and your acceptance of God. Death, resurrection. Death and resurrection. They're the one-two punch. One, two, two, you. Give, me, give me a hymn book. Where's the hymn book? Give, give me a hymn book. Where's the, where's, the, where's the old rugged cross in the hymn book? I don't, I'll, I'll take both of them. Where's the old rugged cross? It's in the 180s, I know. See that? How do I know that? I know that. Yeah, yeah. 186. Okay. How do I know that? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Now where are we going? Till my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Going to resurrection. It's death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Oh, and the, and the next verses are no different. Goes from the death, goes to the cross, goes to the resurrection. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we sing about, that we that we love so much. It's the one-two punch. Well, this, this is a um, illustration I've used before, but because it because it's just about perfect. You know, as I look at it. When you pay for something, you go to the store, you get a receipt, right? You get a receipt. Why? Why? Because you never know when someone's going to come up to you, maybe even in the store, and say, did you pay for that? Did you prove it? Prove it. And with a triumphant smile on your face, you reach into your bag and you pull out a receipt. I don't know where you, did you ever get the receipt from CVS. If you go in there and buy something at CVS, you know, you need to take about another three minutes because it's going to take three minutes to print out the receipt. And then you've got a place to put it in the car. I mean, it's... But you got this receipt and you say, don't bother me, you knave. Don't bother me. Here's the proof. And you, you put up the receipt and you them the receipt. It's paid for. Some of us aren't as sure as ourselves... We're afraid of that little knock maybe from the IRS. You know, it's that time of year, right? Miss Woods. We know we told the truth. We know we told the truth, but we're not sure if we can prove it. We're not sure if we have the... Do you have the receipt? Do you have the receipt? How do you know Jesus died for you? How do you really know that's true? Paid for your sins. You know he paid the penalty. He paid the debt because he was sprung from death's prison. You know, he's out. He's gone. He's resurrected. You know he paid the penalty. For the wages of sin is death. He died, didn't he die? Didn't he die? But early Sunday morning, the resurrection is God's way of giving us a receipt. Stamping paid in full for all of history. Paid in full. You can deal with your conscience, deal with your accusers, deal with your own fears that you have in your life by getting out your receipts, which is the resurrection. And just looking at it again the resurrection, and the death together are part of what saves us. Put it this way. It wasn't the death of Jesus Christ that transformed the disciples. It wasn't the miracles that transformed the disciples. It wasn't the teachings. It wasn't the birth. It wasn't until he was raised. It wasn't until he was raised that they understood what he meant, what it all meant. And if he wasn't raised, then the death of Jesus is tragic. It's tragic. Just a noble example of how to die nobly, how to suffer. But if he was raised, his death actually accomplished something. It finished something. It secured something. And it's not your good works but his death and his resurrection, which completely fulfilled and satisfied the law of God, so you could be accepted by him. If there's anybody here who says, I believe in Jesus in a general way, uh, I believe there's a great God, but 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 I don't know if I can believe in the bodily resurrection. Here's what Paul says. You're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. And you don't know what the death of Christ actually means. If Jesus wasn't raised, and then he goes on to say this, then Christianity is like every other religion. Every other thought that's out there. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. And he probably came to tell us how to live and how to die nobly. And, you know. But if he has been raised from the dead, then he's not just a good teacher. Who does that? He's the Son of God.
1: The Son of God.
0: The Bible says God declared him the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. I mean, point blank, it's in Romans chapter 1. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection. It's that importance. It's that important? His death, his resurrection, place you in his family. Usher you into the presence of God. R.A. Tori, R.A. Tori was uh, followed Dwight Moody at at, uh, at the Bible Institute in Chicago as the second president of Moody, and uh, he was it was in the nineteenth century, and he was preaching on verse twenty one of this chapter of this passage, and it's the verse twenty one says this. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, which is the first man, everybody dies. In Christ, the second man, all are made alive. You know the passage. Just a week after Tory had been talking about this and preaching about this, he saw it happen. Literally, he saw it happen. He was part of a, a mountain climbing team and he was watching another team that was going on a, an adjacent hill or, or side of a mountain and he was watching them climb as well. And five men all tied to each other. The last man lost his footing and he began to fall. And as he was hurling through space, his weight pulled the next guy off the mountain. And that man began to fall. and then the next and then the next Every one of them was falling as good as dead, as good as dead, at the top. The last man on the mountain saw what was happening. He was the strongest, the most powerful of all, and he knew he had to act. He had to do something. And Tori says he saw the man, he took his pickaxe, and he drove that pickaxe into that rock on the mountain, and he... As as hard as he possibly could, and he held tight. He knew what was coming. And it came a horrible, violent, sickening snap. And he braced himself, and at the moment he was pulled, he held on. And the rope started to constrict around him, and it began to strangle him. His ribs began to snap, and he held on. He began to bleed. It cut into him, and it was all over. He was in tremendous pain, and Tori said, incredibly, with all of his might, with all of his power, he began to pull himself up and everybody else with him. All of their lostness, he says, bore down on him. All their lack of footing bore down on him. All their weight bore down on him. He bore it all. And even though he was ripped and strangled and torn and crushed, he began to pull them up and up and up with all the strength until the next man got his footing and the next man got his footing and the next person got their footing and Tori came home, and he was talking to us. He couldn't believe it, that he'd seen this. He says, they were all saved. They were all saved, he said. Adam was like that first man. Our first ancestor fell. The Bible tells us we all inherit sin from him. And there's not much use in blaming your parents because your parents will blame their parents, and those parents will blame the other parents, you know, Adam pulled every one of us down and there was only one man left and that one man' name is Jesus. One man left. And he decided he would not only die and be cut but he would also rise so that everyone in union with him would rise with him. That's the gospel. So hold on to this, Christians. Unless there is a resurrection... There's no hope. Paul makes a tremendous statement in verse 30. He says, if Christ isn't raised, and he's talking about his life. He's looking back at his life, and he goes back into Ephesians. He says, why do we endanger ourselves all the time? Talking about the gospel. Uh, I die every day. And then he makes a statement. I don't understand it. I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. I, I don't totally know what that means. But what he's saying here is, I, I did all this, but what did I gain if Christ isn't raised? What, what am I, what am I, if, if the dead are not raised, then he makes that statement. Eat, drink, and be merry for, you know, just do what you want to do. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. He's saying, it's not, it's not after the storm comes the sun. It's not, there's a silver lining There's no bigger reality than this. The resurrection makes Paul fearless. He's fearless. Last year I said, if you want to celebrate Easter, get rid of your sins. I looked. I went back and looked at last year's sermon. This year I'm going to add to that. If you want to celebrate Easter, get rid of your fears. There's a holy boldness that comes with knowing this truth. There's a holy boldness. If you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, you have everything to fear. In fact, you're a fool if you're not afraid. If you're not afraid. Paul is saying, the end of your life is coming. And everybody here, end of your life, you know, second, law of thermodynamics, we're all dying. You're welcome. It might be sooner than you think. And you have no way to decide what's right and what's wrong. If all you have is nature, all you have are these little sayings. Mm. In nature, the strong eat the weak. Putin is right if there's no resurrection. Get stronger, get bigger, take advantage of whatever, to make yourself whatever you want to be. Putin is right. If the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink, and be merry because we're all dying. But if there's a resurrection, I can handle anything because I know I'm going to be raised and I'll fight. And I'll take on life. And I have hope that tomorrow is God's day. It's God's day. The resurrection means he reigns. He reigns. He lives. So what does all this mean? Where does all this uh, take us? We're not like those who have no hope. That's what scripture keeps on saying. We're not like people who don't have any hope. He's alive. I mean, he's really alive in an eschatological framework. Now, Now bear with me here. In Matthew 13, at the harvest at the end of the age where things are coming to a close, it says this, and I'm quoting from Scripture here, Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will collect out of His kingdom all causes of sin, all evildoers, and they will be thrown into the furnace of fire. The righteous... On the other hand, Matthew 13, 43 says, the righteous, on the other hand, will shine like the sun. There will be justice. The final vision of God presented in God's word is that of a loving, powerful God that will destroy evil and the causes of evil. The evil and the evil one which has soaked history in blood and tears, will be completely eradicated. Every tear will be dried up. That's in, you know, we, we quote this all the time. And death and pain will be no more. Thomas Long, in his book, What Shall... Thomas Long was a good friend of, you guys know Tom Lynch from Lynch Funeral Home. He, he and, and Tom Long, Tom Long is from Emory University and is a pastor of, of, of preaching there. And the two of them have written several books together. So we have a local connection with Tom. And he wrote a book which was called What Shall We Say? And And I want to share in closing this from his book. He talks about the Holocaust. He says in the village of Dachau, there's a museum of the Holocaust. There's a photograph there that's so haunting. Everybody who sees it shudders. It's of a mother and her little girl being marched into the gas chambers of ostrich. There's not a thing that the mother can do to stop what's going to happen. So she commits the only act of love that she has left. She walks behind her daughter, puts her hands over her daughter's eyes so she will not see what is about to happen. And everyone who sees this picture, whether it's, audibly, or in their hearts, cry out, Oh God, don't let that be the last word. But you can multiply that over and over and over again. You can go to Chicago. You can go to Ukraine. You can go to L.A. You can go anywhere in this world. And we cry, Don't let whatever that beast is in us Does these kinds of things to one another. The inhumanity to man. Don't let that be the final story of my little girl. Of my family. To the people of the Ukraine or any of us. I mean, look what's happening there. Torn apart. Brutality. Off the charts. In the resurrection, Jesus says, I promise you, I promise you, evil does not get the last word. Standing at the end of time is the last judge, the risen Christ. And whatever beast mauls its way through history, sending little girls and families in the cruelty of death, will be utterly destroyed. Listen, the love of God, seemingly weak on the cross, ends up victorious and ultimately destroys the power of evil. The nonviolence of God's love ultimately does violence to evil. The prince of peace comes. And in regards to evil, he's the divine warrior. He becomes the warrior. The prince becomes the warrior. God revealed in Christ... He enters into our time. He makes war on everything evil. Evil is unmaxed for what it really is. It's nothingness. It, it's destroyed. And God enters into the past and the present and the future of our life in this world, and he heals us. He heals us. i will close with this. Much is known about the, the French leader, Charles de Gaulle. I mean, there's books written about him what's not remembered and really is not written in many of the books was that he and his wife Yvonne were parents of a child by the name of Annie and Annie was a little girl with Down syndrome and every day no matter what he was doing in the affairs of state, uh, de Gaulle would come home and he'd play tenderly with his little Annie his child And then he and his wife, Yvonne, when the time came, they would together put the little child to bed and spend some time. And Yvonne would often say to Charles, Charles, why couldn't she have been like the others? I have prayed so often. I've prayed so often. That she'd be like the others. And Annie died before reaching full adulthood. And the family had a private graveside service and when the service was over Yvonne was reluctant to leave the grave the the, the, the ties were so so strong she didn't want to leave her daughter and Charles put his hand on Yvonne's arm and he said come Yvonne now she's like the others that's resurrection. That's the resurrection. That's the power of the resurrection. He died, didn't he die? But early Sunday morning, come to him. Whatever you need is in his hands. Resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to realize this Easter, Lord, Lord, that your son raises us up if we unite to him by faith. Help us to glory in this truth today, to rejoice in it, that we're united, Lord, to the one who was raised and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we, we, we believe this with every fiber of our being. Help us to take it into our homes and into our community. It's all or nothing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I die, and I've said this to my wife, I said, I want you to play this and sing this. And I've written out, (laughs) you know I have. I've written out what I want done, what I want said, and what I want lifted up. At my time, when the time comes. But this song has always spoke to me. Very personal. And I want to sing it. I want us to sing it together in closing. There's a peace I've come to know. Though my heart, my flesh, they fail. There's an anchor for my soul. I can say all is well. Jesus has overcome and the grave is overwhelmed and I will rise when he calls my name no more sorrow no more pain I will rise on eagle's wings before my God fall on my knees and I will rise I believe that with all my heart I believe that for you. I believe that for anyone who comes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you this morning as we close the service. If you don't know Christ, we invite you to come to him. You want to come down and we'll pray with you in the front. And, and uh, perhaps you've, you've, you you've want to be a member of the church uh, and say, you know, I, I want to unite with this fellowship. I invite you to come there's any reason that you, 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 you the Lord's Lord speaking to your heart, to your life, and there's that nudge of the Holy don't ever, Don't ever push that aside. If God's speaking to you, you need to do something. Is there a time to move, a time to, to cry, a time to rejoice, and there's a time to come to Him? And we invite you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we invite you to come to Jesus. You'll never regret it. It will never regret the greatest event of your life is coming to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite us to sing this and closing our service.